You're listening to the Quince podcast. The 47th Chief Justice of India Sharad Arvind Bobde demits office on April 23rd. Under his tenure, India witnessed some critical moments such as the first wave of the coronavirus pandemic, followed by the migrant crisis, the ongoing farmers' protest, and now an even more infectious second wave that there seems to be a severe shortage of crucial medical supplies. But how did the Supreme Court fare in this moment of extreme crisis under his leadership? What kind of a legacy is CJR Bobde leaving behind? one marked with controversies and criticisms for sure if not for consequential judgments so on the same day that cjr bobde demits office he heard a somoto case regarding the covid crisis in the country where he indicated considering transferring the slew of cases regarding the pandemic that several high courts have been hearing that move is something that had been widely criticized by top advocates in the country and as he sets off to retire Let's take a look at the highlights of CJR Bobde's tenure. He was recently quoted saying, "Let justice be done, though heavens may fall." But could he dispense justice in the way that was expected of the CJI and the Supreme Court? Joining me in this podcast is my guest, Vakasha Sachdev, the Queen's legal editor. Hi Vakasha. Hi. Welcome back Hi, to the Big Story podcast. <laughs> It's been a while. <laughs> You're tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shalvuri. So, Agasha, let's mm-hmm. talk about the final act first. Undoubtedly, the pandemic posed the biggest test for the Supreme Court under C.J. Bobde's tenure, right? When the center's poorly planned lockdown triggered the whole migrant crisis last year, at the same time. the supreme court and cj bobde did not really swing into action as was expected of them with the number of uh, petitions that were placed before the court asking it to take some amount of action at that point of time and when it came to holding the center accountable for the migrant crisis the court bought the government's version of the event on on face value when it said that there were no migrants on the roads even though there were actual reports and videos and photos documenting the plight of migrant workers and then the court even declined to pass an order saying something to the effect that you know what can the supreme court do it can't stop people from walking on the roads and now a year later when we're in a crisis situation yet again within a huge shortage of icu beds and oxygen cj bobde is asking the center for a national plan on the last day of his job is it too <laughs> little too late for his concern now i mean i think this is this is the we look at the way the court dealt with the migrant crisis this has been unfortunately the experience right as as you pointed out last year what's interesting is that there were a couple when the crisis started it looked like the supreme court might actually uh, really step up to the plate because uh, bobde actually did two very important things he cj bobde he actually uh, one was he suo moto brought up the case of what are, what about the people who are in jails people who are in prisons at this point of time and he's uh, you know ordered the setting up these high powered committees which would look into uh, seeing wh- which categories of people could be released from prisons uh, whether on bail or on parole for those who are convicted uh, so you know that was that was a laudable step he quite early on they you know they they got rid of physical hearings but also said okay we're going to have we will continue to have urgent hearings and we're going to now get you know video conferencing in i mean so on at that time it for a moment it looked like he was really taking this seriously and was going to do a good job and one of the things about cj bobde is that he's 
which I think people would have told you even before uh, his tenure started, is that he's seen as someone who's not very confrontational. Now, there is an argument we made that at a certain point, you know, especially when you're trying to hold a government to account, you need to do that. But, you know, you could make the argument that a less confrontational approach, a more collaborative approach was more helpful at the time when you're when you've got a national crisis. But the problem is that that only works when all the sides are working in good faith. The day the central government came up to the court and in response to those migrant crisis stories, literally made up its own stories and said, oh, there are no migrants on the road. That was the day when, you know, a collaborative approach doesn't work anymore, right? Then you have to start asking questions. And that's where he completely failed to do that. Because if the central government was absolutely correct and there was nobody on the road, then sure, then there's nothing to be done, right? If the government is saying, oh, we've already done all these actions, then sure. But you have, but there's a duty on a court to ask those questions. You don't just accept this at face value. You'll say, okay, fine, give it to us an affidavit, show us the exact steps. You, something to that effect has to be there, especially when you had all the reports. And as you said, there was more than enough evidence that that wasn't true, which was all in the public domain. You know, I mean, these these judges are not sitting in an ivory tower where they don't have access to uh, the internet or to the newspapers or to TV. They they can see and they know what is happening out there. There was no way he did not have access to those images. And yet to accept the government's version at face value was, it? I mean, that's an abdication of your responsibility, right? That's an abdication of judicial responsibility. And this is the prob- and this is where it just starts to get, get really bad because then even afterwards, it took two months for them to finally consider hearing uh, something about the migrant crisis. And even then, you know, they were, uh, they were again, just still taking government uh, statements at face value. The government told them something about, oh, we're not charging migrants for trains. If you remember when they started those stomach trains, yeah. the government openly yeah. said, we are not charging them. Nobody's being charged for it. Whereas again, everyone knew that that was not true. You know, so this, this kind of, and this was what marked his whole thing. And so then you suddenly now come one year later, uh, you've not bothered in between at all to even the case which he did like on this on the prisoners thing. He's not even had one follow up on that case, even though there have been severe problems with the way those orders were being implemented, you know, and the way those high power committees were actually looking. There was a very clear thing that they were that instead of looking at, uh, you know, the age of the prisoner, which is what is important, right? And comorbidities of prisoners, if you have to look at who should be sent away, they were looking at it as purely a matter of, Okay, these people, if they if if they have if if you know they've been charged with this offense, forget a convicted, you yeah. know, even people who are just accused of certain offenses, even if they were like in the highest risk category to COVID, they weren't allowing them. Yeah, to- like the Bhima Korega. Absolutely, case. yeah. And 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 the point is that a, that if you once you pass this order, you could have very well then you know looked into it and seen is 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 this order even being followed? And he didn't bother doing that either. So, which is why suddenly coming up at this stage, when again, now for weeks, this crisis has already been escalating, right? It's not as though this just happened yesterday. The crisis has been escalating for weeks. He could have even, he could have one week, two weeks ago, you know, if we, what at least by the beginning of this week, he could have been, he could have said, okay, we need to have a Sumoto case. But it wasn't done. And look at the way the case got set up, right? The case gets set up because Vedanta files are mentioning, you know, which was supposed to be before Justice Nariman's bench. For some reason, it's heard by C.J. Bobde's bench. And then from there, he he decides that all oh, these other, uh, you know, that these states, that, that there's a problem with the way the states, uh, are, the, the high courts are dealing with this matter on a state-by-state basis. And on that basis, he then says, therefore, we need the Supreme Court to hear it. Now, it's, it's all very well to say that the Supreme Court should hear it, but there have to be some actual reasons. And, and he says, and if you read the order which the court said yesterday, they said that the orders being passed by the high court, and I'm going to quote here, may have the effect of accelerating and prioritizing the services to a certain set of people and slowing down the availability of these resources 
to certain other groups, whether the groups are local, regional, or otherwise. So that's a pretty serious claim to make, right? You're saying that there's a difference between access, you know, there's a, that these high court orders are destabilizing a response, right? And without any basis, right? If they if they had a report before it, you know, uh, a set of, yeah. you know, if the if the central government, if it had come out and said, okay, look, they, you know, the high court X said do this, but that then took away a supply from that state and that, you know, that kind of thing would make sense. But there was none of that information before then, not even in a sealed Moreover, Moreover, you know, uh, the move to appoint Mr. Harish Salve as the amicus curiae, even though he's not even based in the country anymore. Of course, he's recused himself from that yeah. role. But how are we to even look at this move? I mean, the thing is, Harish Salve, there's an unfortunate truth is that this is not the first time. So, I mean, a lot of people have particularly looked at this, but Harish Salve has for many years magically somehow become a Micah's Curie in, in a lot of cases. Now, a lot of people would try to justify it and say, oh, but yeah, he's a, he's a good lawyer. And let's be clear, he's a man who's, if you look at his record and all, he's definitely a good lawyer, right? But for somehow magically for the last 20 years, or the last, okay, what, no, whatever, but just, if you look at around last 15, 20 years or so, uh, he keeps getting appointed a Micah's Curie in case after case after case after case. And at least earlier, you could say he was in the country. He's He was in the courtroom for some of those cases, even though, I mean, that's setting that aside yeah. for now. The main point is he's not in the country right now. He has, rep, yeah. he has openly defended the central government on a number of issues yeah. publicly. And this is not as a, if he had gone there, if he had been purely engaged as a lawyer, then actually you can't criticize, yeah. criticize him. But he has defended the central government in a personal capacity. This man should not then be appointed as an amicus curiae who's supposed to be impartial, number one. Number two, the court was saying that they're going to look at vaccine strategy as well, right? It's not just oxygen deficiencies or other problems. They wanted also to look at vaccine strategy. This is the man who has represented SII in, in, in cases before the Bombay High Court. So how are you, have, you know, the Serum Institute? Uh, so how exactly is this person been appointed to this kind of role? And there's a clear conflict of interest. It's, 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 it's very, very clear. And I'm not going to get into, like some people try to dig out the fact that, you know, he and... Uh, Justice Bob Day were uh, classmates in school. No, like, that's not, I, I think that's actually quite unfair. That's not really relevant to the issue here. So if you yeah. see anyone making the argument that that is a problem with his appointment, that's not really it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, just because you know, the judge may know the lawyer, I mean, that's a bit unfortunate, but that's what it is, right? Like, you can't change those kind of things. But when yeah. you've got clear, like, potential conflicts of interest from the issues, on the merits of the thing, it was a it was a decision which didn't make sense, and and you could see right the, the fact that he was literally just appointed because he was there representing Vedanta, who were trying to get an order here saying oh we'll do it, and again it's it's that 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 request itself is also so dodgy, hmm. you know this is Vedanta has been has this case the had had this case open at the Supreme Court where they're desperately requesting their plant to be reopened. Now this is a plant which violated pretty much every environmental norm, should never have been allowed to have been set up was somehow allowed to be set up, functioned for years without being checked. Uh, the, I mean, the locals in that area ha have had it till there. And then if you remember a few years ago, there was also the whole thing that when there was the whole agitation over the closure of the plant, uh, people were shot, uh, you yeah. know, by police forces, but protesters and all who weren't even committing any acts of violence were, were, were gunned down in the street. So, you know, I mean, for the court to be saying, yes, let's take the lawyer who's representing this party, and then make them look at this issue. It's it just it's it's also kind of tone deaf, right? Like it's just not really thinking about what the issues. And and as you pointed out, the fact that he's sitting in London right now, 
he has no idea how bad it is on the ground here right now right yeah. isn't i, I mean heck, heck, half of us don't know how bad it is on the ground exactly at this moment but at the very least you want someone who's actually knows what's happening or you know it starts with the fact that that he didn't think about doing this till literally this time when he could have picked this up last any time over the last yeah any time of the last week the last two weeks he could have started looking into this didn't do it when it comes up before him appointing an amicus who you know you know he's got close ties to the government you know just again taking things which he and the solicitor general are saying at face value you then make statements in it which have no basis in fact you then are going against and the best part is the inconsistency you know bobde has spent the last year constantly telling us oh people shouldn't be running to the high court go to the to the supreme court go to the high court why are you filing article 32 petitions this matter can be heard by the high court let it go yeah. there so i mean you're We'll we come of- to that point. We'll come to that point mm-hmm. a little later. But you know, beyond the COVID crisis, if we go back to the beginning of his tenure in 2019, yeah. there were some really important cases pending hearing before the Supreme Court over the Citizenship Amendment Bill, for instance, uh-huh. or Article 370, or electoral bonds. And some of those, some of those pending cases that pertain to human rights violations and threats to democracy weren't heard even under the former CJI Ranjan Gogoi's yeah. tenure. which itself was knee deep in controversies but was cj bobde's leadership any better in this aspect i mean there there's there's a great uh, like gotham party has done a good blog post um on this he's actually talked about he's made the argument that potentially you could argue that what, what the way bobde's handled those issues is worse than gogoi because gogoi at least you know he set up sometimes benches for some of those things he actually there were some hearings on some of those things i mean we have a lot of complaints about whatever happened but at least at least something happened out yeah. here we actually saw even less of that you know um mm-hmm. you know the the the, the caa bench issue for instance like uh the way that, that, that there's a record number of petitions there were so many urge like key requests where people were saying look look at the scale of protests look at the fear which there is and valid fear which there is or even if you don't agree that it is that there is fear there is concern at least just put a stay on this right because people's lives are potentially at risk put a stay on it later you can rule and say that it's it's constitutionally valid and it's all fine right like you don't have to worry about it anymore Hmm. but like he just refused to do this you know for without even giving any reasons for why that was the case and this was the whole issue with all these big constitutional matters they were cases which had to be which have to be the, the, the longer you let them stay around and don't do anything you are essentially it's a fait accompli in favor of the government and that is not the way a constitutional court is supposed to function you cannot just keep letting these cases go in abeyance and we saw like no movement on these now the hmm. thing is uh goga himself got it terribly wrong i mean the fact that he prioritized ayodhya over the kashmir cases right. was you know i mean there is there is no justification for that on a legal basis if we look at bobde's tenure he to some extent you might try and argue that okay but what about the the, the coronavirus crisis right like as in that's going to make it difficult to conduct hearings that's going to make it difficult to go about things and to an extent you can make that argument yes but there were a few things which showed that the court can very well conduct even complex constitutional cases um and like complex hearings without difficulty in its current process of video conferencing we saw this with the uh, in terms of a constitutional case with the maratha reservation case like detailed arguments by senior counsel all of that was heard and they were able to do that even during this time you have the um tata cyrus mystery like uh controversy which is going yeah. on over his that that also and that there were days and days and days and days of hearings on that case so 
while you can try to give them a bit of a free pass, okay, fine, maybe the first two months, three months, four months of the pandemic, they couldn't quite, you know, take on cases. But, you know, perhaps. what perhaps will go down in history is the fact that a contempt of court case against lawyer activist Prashant Bhushan was taken up so motive by the court as a matter of extreme emergency yeah. over actually urgent cases. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. And, and again, that wasn't, it wasn't as though that was like, oh, a very short case, which was heard. And, 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 you know, you had one day of brief arguments and it got over. There were, again, several days of arguments there. So the court yeah. evidently was more than capable of doing that. So why not do it for these matters, which are seriously important for the sake of entire sections of the population, which yeah. are important for the constitutional direction of the country, right? You know, something like the CA and, and given the allegation, what are the allegations against the CA, right? That it's a violation of Article 14. It's changing the way citizenship works in the country. That's not a small yeah. accusation, right? So you need to address something like that head on. And the consequences, again, of these things, if you don't, like the, we saw that with Kashmir, by not addressing it, Kashmir, the union territory formation went ahead because the court, again, just decided not to put a stay. And now even, like, I mean, it, it's again, it's just making the central government's actions a fait accompli. How are you going to later now roll these things back? It's going to be a nightmare. You know, the number of administrative changes which have been made. Now that's, so those kind of considerations just don't seem to have been there at all when it came to prioritization of cases. Now, electoral yeah. bonds actually is a great example because that was a case which could have easily been heard uh, on video conferencing because what you didn't need to have was a lot of papers being moved up and down to show yeah. that, the, you know, the court in the middle of things, which sometimes can happen in a lot of these constitutional cases that you're constantly moving this compendium and showing things to the judges and all that kind of stuff. So it can be a bit difficult to do that in video conferencing. Electoral yeah. bonds, all the material was already there at the court. You know, there was literally nothing which would have to be physically moved and shown to the court. And the arguments were pretty straightforward. And yet he just refused to list that case. And finally, he does at long last decide to list it for a brief hearing where he, if you read the order, it's, I mean, it, it, it makes no sense. He again just passes an interim order, you know, which doesn't go into the merits of the issue at all. And yet somehow makes findings which are essentially in favor of the government. Like he makes a, like, the, he points out the fact that there were no impediments created by the courts to the previous few rounds of electoral bond issues to say that, therefore, it should not be stopped right now because, you know, it shows that there's essentially saying that there's a presumption that everything is OK. But the reason why nothing was done during those last few bouts is because the court was not listing it, including him. So, you know, it's, it's this kind of bizarre, uh, uh, you know, decision making, which has no basis in fact. No basis in law, no basis in logic. That, that's even worse than, than than actually passing a bad final judgment. Because and I, here and you're I just... want to, sorry to cut you off. And I want to come back to uh, the point that you were referring to before, you know, uh, the contrast between how the petition against Malayalam journalist Siddiqui Kappan's detention was handled, yeah. as opposed to how Republic TV editor-in-chief Arnav Goswami's bail plea was handled. Wasn't that a bit hypocritical for an institution of this stature because in Kappan's case who was arrested and charged with UAPA while he was on his way to report on yeah. the Hathras gang rape case the CGI wanted his counsel to approach the Allahabad High Court first but for Anup Goswami his case was heard by a special vacation bench even though the court was closed for well, the well, so, I mean, to be to be fair so the thing is no matter how much one may dislike Arnab Goswami or whatever to be honest what the court did in his case was not incorrect I mean yeah. 
you can argue that the Bombay and 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 what was important was that he first went to the Bombay High Court and then he came to the Supreme Court. So you know he had he had gone through that. But the point is that that's yeah. it's not as though you can't come directly to the Supreme Court. Number yeah. one, number two, if Bobde was so upset with Kapan's habeas corpus petition, he could have just yeah. dismissed it. The problem was that he didn't even dismiss it. Either if you, if you're gonna have a problem with these things, then you know. You, you can just dismiss the case and then not bother with it. The big issue, actually, which we see through Bobde's tenure is a failure to exert any sort of consistency. And this has been there throughout. Um, there have been lo- Because essentially the Supreme Court doesn't all sit together. You have different benches. So there is always a certain degree of the fact that things don't quite match up all the time. But, I mean, you could argue that perhaps there's been... Uh, that, that problem has been exacerbated during Bobde's tenure because we've actually seen diametrically opposite cases just keep coming up over and over again. Like you pointed out, the Kappan case, the fact that they didn't, the, the same, even if even if there are technical differences in the case and all that, the main point which Justice Chandrachud made during his during the Arnab Goswami case was that liberty, in, in a person's individual liberty is so important that even one day's, you know, wrongful incarceration is 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 a blight. It's it's a it's not acceptable. Whereas in Kappan's case and in every other habeas corpus case which went up before the Chief Justice of India, it was like, yeah, okay, cool, fine, one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, who cares? Yeah. We'll hear it after some time. You know, there was none of this urgency, uh, uh, which which is exactly how the court should be treating something like this. You know, you see that there, you see the lack of, um, I mean, there are other instances as well, you know, where you'll see this sort of thing where um, the, the court is saying that, okay, we don't need to hear this right now, but like in every, but the, the way they've approached other matters has been very, very different. So I, I'll just pick up a couple of other examples here. So, um, I mean, just look at the way the farm laws case was dealt with, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in this, you've got a situation where, yes, there are, you may want to mediate and you may want to try and diffuse the situation. All that is all very nice. But the court also had very clearly had simple issues of legality in front of it, which mm-hmm. could, which the sooner you rule on it, the better. Because the sooner you rule on it, the, the quicker, you know, the, 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 the protests also have to enter into their own end games and, and figure out what they're doing, right? But instead of delving into that, you just take forever to you, you set up committees which are not even going to really find any solution to this. You just let this case kind of drag on. I mean, th- th- there is no logic to this. Now, I know that people will say that, yeah, but like unless and until you're going to show uh, CGI Bobde taking inconsistent positions, it's not a problem. But then this is a key position which this which the chief justice should be handling. They should, yes. if 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 you're if you are concerned that there's going to be a lack of consistency, then send the same kind of cases to the same judge, right? Send all your personal liberty cases to Justice Chandrachud, who's then going to handle all of them in an appropriate manner. Send all your other, send your cases, certain kind of cases to Justice Nariman. Send others to us. The point is that that is a role which the CGI can play if it's becoming very clear, you know, yeah. that there is no consistency. But he wasn't doing that either. And you know, the administrative role of a CGI is also something of utmost important, something that's closely observed by people. You know, the fact that as the master of roster, he decides who will be hearing what cases or what kind Mm -hmm. of appointments are made to the Supreme Court. And surprisingly, even with five vacancies, no appointments have been made in the Supreme Court under CJ Bhutis tenure. Yeah. And this is not even as though like he barely came, you know, he wasn't someone who had like just two, three months, four months, whatever to, you know, he had 17 months. That's the longest tenure in ages that a CJ has had. And he just, and it's bizarre because, you know, you, there are, the, the way the collegium, the, the, the procedure works where the collegium recommends things to the 
come into this point is that if the collegium makes a recommendation yeah. and then the government doesn't agree with it um the collegium reiterates that re- recommendation and then that has to be followed through by the the central government now the loophole yeah. which the center has found is that there's no deadline so they can delay it the problem with cj borde was that he wasn't even reiterating things he wasn't yeah. even sending recommendations for these vacancies you know to to, to for, for for supreme court judges and it's just it makes no sense because you can see again that the court is so urgently needed to hear so many of these important matters mm-hmm. uh you know how valuable it is to have enough judges functioning in the court at this time mm-hmm. and you are not doing it and 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 it's not even as though you know it's like you can say that either the court was handling its workload perfectly fine or most importantly that there was even a fair representation issue we have one woman judge at the supreme court right now one we had three till like two months ago and now suddenly we have like one that's just it it makes no sense for a court to be in this position so other than the fact that the court had to transform towards digitalization and online filing after, uh, under cj bobde owing to the pandemic of course what kind of a mark is cj bobde leaving behind on the institution i mean he's not that's i mean <laughs> the, the, the problem is there is there is no mark uh by any of the normal ways we 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 kind of try to assess that in terms of judgments or in terms of maybe some sort of administrative reforms none of that was yeah. done like even the i mean the video conferencing thing is fine but i mean that was a necessity we don't have to pat him on the back for yeah. having done that it's not as though they invented the video conferencing tech being used right yeah. uh, and in fact like of all like the supreme court in fact uses the worst of the uh video conferencing technologies that there is rather than you know webex and stuff which is you know it's it's tried tested software which is what the high courts are using the supreme yeah. court is using this thing called video which they've just i mean i'm i'm not going to get into more details about that but um it's like you know even there they didn't even do the very best job and so you can't there's no question of patting them on the back for doing the bare minimum which is what they needed to do in this situation um one of the ways in which we could have seen him do was fulfill on the promise which was made 3 years ago now almost um for li- for co- for cases to be live streamed uh he didn't do that he took no measures really to deal with pendency uh in the court and the fact that he didn't fill, you know fill these vacancies actually makes the pendency situation worse yeah at the supreme court um i mean i, I, I so on on even so even on the non judgment metrics where we normally look at what is we can say that, okay maybe like so for instance uh, cj kher uh, one may not have one may not be able to point to a lot of judgments by him per se during his tenure even though the right to privacy case happened during his time like he didn't write a judgment in it but like at the very least you can say that he you know there was measures he took to try and deal with pendency etc 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 there were things which he tried um no matter how much you may criticize him was it with justice bobde said they haven't even tried you know and in terms of the fact that you know I've, the the judgments which have been passed which are of any significance have nothing to do with him they're not even all of them are like good or well done judgments but whatever it is yeah. um yeah. so yeah i mean you're left with zero metrics and now this is that there's a, there's a, there's two ways to look at this i mean one way to look at it is to say that he just he's basically just failed and that's i think the charitable view is that he didn't take action and that's and we will not remember uh, his tenure because there was there weren't actions taken the other you know the other way to look at it is that the, that the approach he took of not picking up things of evading case after case of using these interim orders rather than actual things uh, is 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 you can argue that in fact that that's a deliberate strategy as well 
you know, commission by omission. And there's a there's an argument to be made that that's that's there because at the end of the day, who benefits every time you do this, right? When you evade hearing important cases, when you allow the central government to just come up and say whatever they want, you know, government authorities to just say what they want and get away with things. Yeah. This, I mean, by not doing anything, there also there is, I mean, in a sense, a decision is being made. So, you know, the, the, the less charitable way to look at his tenure is to say that this is the tenure which has been great for the government. You know, they've not once been held to account. They've not once been questioned. They've not once been made to, like, uh, you know, answer any of the uncomfortable questions. So, if you're, so when you're in this position, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a very dangerous uh, line of reasoning to go down any further because there's a point where one now starts straying into contempt of court. Yeah. But, I mean, I... I, I I've what but but it's not as though there aren't merits to the argument, right? Because it, it's not about even if we don't impute any motives or anything to the court, the, the results are still the same. So even though that may not have been Justice Bobde's intention, the mark he's left on the court is of a court which has actually been weakened. Its authority has been weakened here in a sense because the government has been allowed to get away with even more than it would have otherwise been, which it was already getting away with so much. Okay, so before we end this discussion, Vakasha, Justice Ravana will be succeeding S.A. Bobde as the 48th Chief Justice of India on 24th April. Can you tell us what all can be expected from the next CJI? So I think um, he's got a lot to clean up. You know, he's gonna he has this whole backlog of huge constitutional matters. You know, leftover. So, I mean, the, and 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 given the long tenure, which Justice Bobde had, there should have been some dent in that. There isn't. Now, Ramana has a has a decent tenure as well. Like it's not a it's not like a, a very short one. So he can actually also probably get some work done. But I mean, it's going to require a lot of will to make that happen. Um, you know, will which we not which we've not really seen from the Supreme Court for a long time. Um, it's going to require a willingness to stand up to the government and ask them questions again, which we've just not been seeing for a very yeah. long time. And I mean, you know, this is where the, the worry starts to come in when you see things like last year, uh, there was the letter which the Andhra CM Jagan Reddy, he writes this letter to Chief Justice Bobde, making all sorts of allegations against uh, Justice Ramana. Yeah. Now, the thing was, if these had just gone privately and then the court uses, the, the court has an in-house procedure and that's been followed and they decide, you know what, there's nothing more, then that's fine. But these allegations were made public. Yeah. Like... Jagan Reddy released these things to the public and then the Supreme Court like very strangely for months sat on it like you know the in-house procedure which is used to investigate it could have wrapped this whole issue up within a week you know as in by all they all they basically did was essentially get uh, Justice Ramana's view match that against the allegations and say this was bullshit Uh, that's essentially what it did but it took months to do that rather than do that within uh, like a week two weeks even one month or so at max Um, which is, so the problem is, you know, it's not about whether those allegations against Justice Ramana are correct or not. It's again that the court itself also, like the way it approached how, how trying to deal with this and the way C.J. Bobde approached dealing with the allegations, but it puts, you know, Justice Ramana in a, in a, in, in a problematic position, right? Because you've not done enough to, to really set aside those, uh, the, the, those very public allegations of misconduct. So, you know, that's a cloud which Justice Ramana is going to have to deal with. And one can hope that he'll be able to deal with it well, because, you know, he's, one of the reasons why it's it's why you know it's believed that that letter was sent out was because of his orders about you know fast tracking of uh, criminal cases against sitting MPs and MLAs, 
which was viewed to be one of the reasons why, you know, because there were several of those against Jagan Reddy. So that was viewed as one of the reasons why that was done. Now, you know, so the I, the hope is that, you know, he'll be able to focus on those kind of things. Uh, he, that, that this cloud which was created by uh, Reddy's allegations and things, he'll be able to avoid it. And what you, if you see some of Justice Ramana's judgments over the last few years, the key thing is he, 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 he is quite clear with getting the law uh, correct, you know, even on Kashmir, the Kashmir restrictions cases and all. He's very good with being able to say that, okay, look, this was what the obligations were and this is what should have happened. The problem is that perhaps we've not really seen him find ways to make those orders enforceable, you know, to make yeah. the court, uh, to make the government actually uh, follow through with what he's saying in those. And I think that's going to be his big challenge, you know, is that is he going to be able to pick up these cases? Is he going to be able to, uh, you know, see them through to not just maybe make a point and say that, OK, look, this is wrong or this is in principle a problem, but like actually say that, yes, the government got this wrong and therefore there are going to be consequences. Um, I think, you know, if we look at the past history of the court, the recent history of the court, that's unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, the, the hope will be that, you know, we'll at least move away from this paralysis, which we saw during uh, CJ Bobbe's tenure, that we'll actually have some of these cases heard, that things will at least on that, that basis progress. With that, we'll wrap up this episode of The Big Story here. Thanks a lot, Vakasha, for being a part of this podcast. Absolutely. It's a pleasure as always. And stay tuned to The Quint for more podcasts. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequin.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quinn's website and check out our other podcasts. 